Batista will be in the ring. Well, Jim Ross, you have really piqued my curiosity as to who will actually be appearing on the program next week. Because I can tell you officially from the WWF offices that Kevin Nash and Scott Hall will not be appearing as both of these individuals are currently under contract to another organization. And then did you ever wonder where OJR went to? Why isn't JR doing play-by-play anymore? Let me tell you why. Because the egotistical owner of the World Wrestling Federation, and you know what I'm talking about, I'm talking about Vince McMahon couldn't stand the competition. Hey, wait just a moment. There is a there's a local wrestling group here in Philadelphia, and obviously trying to make a name for themselves here. And right now, I want to bring back one of your favorites. He's the bad guy, Razor Ramon. Hey, Razor, How do you like that, big man? Like he's a little bigger than the last time I saw him. What? What is JR trying to do? Is he trying to embarrass the World Wrestling Federation? Razor, how does it feel to be back in the WWF? Oh, yeah, man. Chico, take a look at the bad guy, man. Wait a second, Savio Vega hits the ring. Hello, my name is Bob Bamber and welcome to the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. We're going back in the time machine to September of 1996, Volume 2 of this month's show. Volume 1 takes us to WCW and Full Brawl. Volume 3 is always your ECW action for the month. And in Volume 4, me and Chris go to USC for USC 11. We're here for Volume 2, looking at the WWF and In Your House Mind Games. I'm being joined firstly by Craig Wilson. Craig, good morning. Greetings. And Dan Welling. Hello, Bob. Uh, How are you? I'm good. I'm good. It is about what time is it now? It is 5 to 10 a.m. Uh, in the UK for our Isla earliest recording we've ever done. And Dan kicks off with the news. Razor Ramon and Diesel return to the WWF this month, but not quite as you remember them. The newly turned heel Jim Ross plugged, teased and begged people to tune in and see the return of Razor Ramon, but critically, not Scott Hall. With Hall and Nash still firmly a part of the WCW roster, the characters return played by new performers. Ramon by Rick Bogner, who appeared in ECW a few months ago, and Diesel by Glenn Jacobs, who you might remember as Dr. Isaac Yankum. As you might expect, the whole angle fell completely flat, with Ross's heel turn primarily greenlit as a way of attempting to place the heat onto him rather than the promotion. Speaking of flat... WWF's latest in your house show was as good as saved by a stellar main event which saw Shawn Michaels defeat Mankind by DQ after an intense 25-minute match. The bout ended uh, by interference from Vader. It was preceded by Undertaker popping out of a casket at ringside and running off Mankind. The show was also noteworthy for Owen Hart and the British Bulldog defeating the Smoking Guns to win the WWF Tag Team titles and otherwise there were wins for Savio Vega, Jose Lothario over Jim Cornette Mark Henry over Jerry Lawler and The Undertaker. The second biggest story of the show, however, came in the opening 15 minutes with an angle involving three ECW performers. 
as we were in Philadelphia, Vince McMahon and Paul Heyman came together on what on the surface seems to be an angle that concluded the following night on Raw. On the pay-per-view, Sandman stood up from his front row seat and spat beer all over Salvio Vega before he, Paul Heyman and Tommy Dreamer were led away by security. On Raw in Hershey the following night, Taz got to ringside with a sign that said, Sabu fears Taz, before quickly cut to commercial. Bret Hart's future became a little clearer this month, at least if you do a little reading between the lines. While on television, Bret is via t- t- pre-taped interviews openly questioning his future, things are mo- being moved into place ahead of a programme with Stone Cold Steve Austin when he returns. Bret did a segment from the South Africa tour, which now... Uh, which now he is without contract is technically the final part of his obligations to the WWF until he resigns. It said McMahon flew to Calgary to meet him and plans to call for him to return at pay-per-views only until the end of January before returning full-time ahead of a WrestleMania rematch with Shawn Michaels. Davy Boy Smith has signed a new deal with the WWF, but not before a contentious few weeks between the two sides. The WWF believed they had a verbal agreement with Smith ahead of the new five-year contract, but Smith was apprehensive after promises pertaining to his push failed to materialise. With the possibility of him going to WCW, things were worked out eventually, and Smith and Hart winning the tag team titles at the pay-per-view was not a coincidence. Along with the fake Razor and Diesel, WWF also brought back the real Double J, although this wasn't a rip-off of Jeff Jarrett, but instead a return of the roadie, Jesse James, basically restarting the storyline that every WWF fan had been calling for brought back. There is hope that both Brian Pillman and Ahmed Johnson will be able to return before the end of the year. Both have still featured regularly on TV in this past month, and while reports in Japan of him signing appear to have jumped the gun, the WWF are said to have offered a contract to freestyle Olympic gold medalist Kurt Ann. And before we go into the ratings, just a very quick plug for our patron that we launched this month. If you are a regular listener of the show, you'd like to chuck us a couple of quid or a couple of bucks um, to us as a thank you. We are in return offering you early access to shows like this before they go and release to the general public. Uh, I will plug this more at the end of the show, but you can find out more about that and where to donate at patreon.com forward slash wrestling 20 YRS. Now on to the ratings for the month. Raw was preempted on September the 2nd. Nitro did a 4.2 in its absence and Championship Friday which aired four days later did a 1.8 for the WWF. The rating story for the rest of the month was a miserable with Raw being hammered by Nitro every week. On September the 9th Nitro did a 3.7 to Raw's 2.4 On September the 16th coming off a full brawl Nitro did a 3.7 to Raw's 2.1 and Raw bottomed out for a 2.0 against Nitro's 3.4 on September the 23rd that coming off of In Your House and with the anticipate reveal of Ramon and Diesel and also there was a show on September 30th we'll have the ratings for those next month I'm Ed Johnson hey you listen to me right now my friend I hope you do good I mean get back soon as possible but hey listen to you doctor my friend I'm Ed your campaign didn't last very long and it's all over now Oh, man, I'm sorry what happened to you, man. I think you're one of the greatest competitors of the World Wrestling Federation. I want to see you come back. Get well soon. Get well soon, son, because when you come back, I'm going to pound the other kidney. Hey, uh, man, get well soon, man. Looking forward to meeting you. I'm looking forward to working with you. Kidney injury? Hmm, sounds like a lawsuit. I hear you may lose your kidney. 
if you do, Goldust could always serve it up with some fava beans and a nice candy. I just heard you're going to have to have a kidney transplant. And the donor's going to be Jake the Snake Roberts. <laughs> Happy birthday. Oh, get well. Get well. Well, you know, Ahmed, I hate to see anybody, whether it's friend or foe, hurt and in the condition that you're in. But don't think for one second, if and when you do come back to the World Wrestling Federation, that I am going to take it easy on you. We open up what we're well, calling Friday Night Raw or Championship Friday with another really good video package previewing Shawn Michaels versus Goldust. We open with Sid against Hunter Hearst Helmsley in the Intercontinental Title Tournament. Sid might be over, but his big boots still suck. Sid hits a one-handed choke slam. Mr. Perfect walks out in the aisleway. Sid powerbombs Hunter and wins the match. Perfect comes out to chat up Hunter's girl and she walks off with him. We get an update on Ahmed Johnson. He's improving. His doctor says there's a chance he could come back 100%. Brian Pillman is out for the second tournament match between Mark Merrow and Steve Austin. Pillman says he has news on Bret Hart's return. He'll be at Mind Games later this month. After a nothing match, we get a horrid spot where Merrow, in theory, takes the referee out with a shoulder tackle whilst leading through the middle rope. The ref calls for a DQ. That was a bit weak. Merrow wins by DQ. Good luck, you'd have to watch it back. Uh, as Austin apparently threw the ref into harm's way. The pair brawl and they get separated after the match. Jerry Lawler interviews Mark Henry mid-ring. Henry says he doesn't like Lawler very much, or Vader. Lawler... Lawler challenges Henry to a match, a proper wrestling match. Lawler says Henry should have won a gold medal for being the biggest coward there. Henry accepts the challenge. Mankind wins a squash. We see Psycho Sid losing a tug of war with an elephant. He teams up with the team of the Special Olympics and wins. Yes, that did happen. Bob Backlund references the WWWF and a champion in a promo for introducing the Iron Sheik. Sheik manages to call Backlund a six-time WWCFWWF champion. That was awful. It's Shawn Michaels versus Goldust in the main event. We find out Shawn has posed in Playgirl. Mankind interrupts with a picture-in-picture promo. He's got a surprise for Shawn. I don't wish to say the result of this match was inevitable, given it was a title match, but they're already advertising Shawn vs. Mankind at the pay-per-view in a commercial during the match. Shaw wins, Mankind charges out to attack, and Shaw manages to escape. We're back on Monday night, four days later, for the next edition of Raw. We open with another Intercontinental title tournament match between Savio Vega and Farouk Assad. I can't hide my disdain for Savio, but Farouk makes this match bearable. Farouk wins with a gut wrench slam. His semi-panel opponent, Sid, squares up to him after the match. That could be fun. We get some get well soon messages from WWF superstars at Ahmed Johnson, including a sincere one from Sid. Clarence Mason is circling for a lawsuit, and King says he heard his transplant is going to come from Jake Roberts. Quite funny that. Whole thing had a quite ECW vibe to it, I thought. We get a promo from Shawn Michaels on Mankind. Standard stuff, he says, do not hunt what you can't kill. T.L. Hopper faces off against the Stalker. We get a picture-in-picture with Owen Hart and Brian Pillman. Owen says he and Brett have reconciled and will make a shocking announcement at the pay-per-view. 
Jim Ross, quote-unquote, publicly apologises to the WWF for prematurely breaking the story about Diesel and Razor Ramon returning to the WWF. He apologises for the timing, but he says he stands by his sources and the story. Stalker wins the match with a superplex from the second rope. Crush wins a squash with a heart punch. The main event is Undertaker against Salvatore Sincere. We get a picture-in-picture promo from Goldust, who talks Undertaker. Jim Ross says there were negotiations between all parties regarding the Razor Ramon and Diesel return. Ross says there have been hold-ups with Razor's contract, but talks with Diesel are going quite well. Undertaker ends Salvatore's undefeated streak with a closed chokeslam and a tombstone. We open up Raw on September the 16th with Jake Roberts versus The Sultan. Well, once Roberts has chased Laura away from ringside. Jim Ross promises a, quote, foundation-shattering announcement tonight. Lawler manages to distract Roberts by throwing a bottle of booze at him. Sultan puts Roberts in the camel clutch, and it's all over. Bob Backlund, who's on commentary, is in some sort of trance after the match. Brian Pillman and Owen Hart are still promising reconciliation with Brett, but Steve Austin says he's going to be there and he's going to get his answers. Smoking Guns face off against Bob Holly and Alex Porto. Jim Cornette, Owen Hart and the British Bulldog come out for the match. During it, Jim Ross says the following, quote, I guarantee you, ladies and gentlemen, this, and listen very closely to what I have to say. Right here next week, live on Raw, Razor Ramon and Diesel will be in the ring. They'll be here live in Hershey, Pennsylvania next Monday night live. And I guarantee you that Big Daddy called Diesel and Razor Ramon will be standing in the ring next week live. End quote. The match ends with Owen chucking water at Billy. Bob rolls him up and that's enough for the win. Grilla Monsoon addresses Jim Ross's comments. He says Kevin Nash and Scott Hall will not be appearing next week as they are under contract with another wrestling organisation. We cut to an in-ring segment with King, Vader and Cornette. Cornette says he's been training ahead of a match with Jose Lothario with the help of Vader. Cornette has an in-ring workout with Tony Williams. I think I know where this one's going. Cornette is competitive but keeps getting countered. Vader ends up tilting the balance in his favour and Cornette intimidates Williams as we cut to commercial. Owen Hart faces Mark Merritt in an Intercontinental Title Tournament semi-final. Following further comments from Ross and of all people Pat Patterson on commentary about Razor Ramon and Diesel returning, Monsoon returns in a picture-in-picture and says that he knows nothing of Scott Hall or Kevin Nash re-signing. Owen once again takes his cast off and hits Merritt with it, but Merritt kicks out. Merritt takes the cast off of Owen, hits him with it and pins him for the three. We get comments from Bret Hart from South Africa. He calls Pillman a liar. He says he made commitments to a lot of people and he hasn't decided what he's going to do. After that, we get the second semi-final, Sid versus Farouk Assad. A picture-in-picture with Ahmed Johnson with some comments from Farouk. Sid gets chucked a chair and starts using it on Farouk. That will force a disqualification. We get a promo promising the, quote, premiere of a new Undertaker. And a closing promo from Paul Bear and Mankind. Mankind actually starts choking himself. And we'll jump straight into the pay-per-view. Craig can kick us off with the results. Certainly can. In the free view match, uh, Savio Vega defeated Marty Gennetti. Uh, I think Savio clearly just remained in the ring because he was also first up taking on Justin Hawk Bradshaw in a Caribbean strap match, which uh, Vega won. Second up was a singles match between Jose Lothario and Jim Cornette, which Lothario won in less than a minute, arguably a minute too long. 
Owen Hart and the British Bulldog then defeated the WWF Tag Team Champions Smoking Guns, uh, Billy and Bart Gunn to win the tag titles and afterwards Sonny fired the Smoking Guns. Mark Henry then defeated Jerry Lawler in around about five minutes via submission. The Undertaker then defeated Goldust in a final curtain match and in the stellar main event, the WWF champion Shawn Michaels with Jose Lotharo in his corner defeated Mankind with Paul Bear in his corner via DQ to retain his title. Dan, what do you think of this show? Um, I think this could be a snapshot of all the WWF's done in 1996, a bland to weak undercard propped up by an incredible main event involving Shawn Michaels. Um, I think you can probably, probably copy and paste every single review you've done of In Your Houses this year and put it into here because it was pretty similar, to be honest. Um, yeah, just an amazing main event, and but the rest of the show was really forgettable. Craig? I thought the the card was actually... Uh, sorry, the show was, was dreadful, uh, and I can't help but think that if it wasn't for the main event, this would be regarded as one of the worst events ever. Uh, this is very much the one of those one-match shows. So if you have it on Coliseum Home Video, we'll just fast-forward to the last half hour or so. Yeah. Um, this show, I mean, save save a, a brief but noteworthy ECW angle, this show was death before the main event. Um, between, you know, I think it was four just really drab matches, some segments that didn't really go anywhere, um, in fact, it was five drag matches, wasn't it? I think. Um, and then, yeah, we get to the main event, and 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 Daniel right, it is, you know, and I, I've been thinking this watching Raw. Raw without Shawn Michaels is horrendous. With him, it's okay. And these pay per views are the same. I mean, they're, you know, we we're going to talk later on about the quote unquote return of Razor Ramon and Diesel. Ever since those two have gone, Bret Hart's been on hiatus. This has become a Shawn Michaels promotion, and not really in a good way. I mean, we've seen guys leave promotions before, but generally when we talk about guys leading promotions, there's stuff going on elsewhere that's at least noteworthy. There just wasn't anything here. Um, I, I don't know. We'll, um, we'll jump straight into the show. Uh, we are in Philadelphia. There's a noteworthy ECW chant as Mr. Perfect, Vince McMahon, and Jim Ross open up the show. We start with Justin Hawk Bradshaw with Uncle Zebekiah versus Savio Vega in a Caribbean strap match. Bradshaw goes after Savio before the bell, whipping him with the strap before they even get going. Uh, before they get strapped up even. And if you consult the top left corner of the screen opposite the hard camera, you might clock two very familiar faces from ECW. Tommy Dreamer and the Sandman in ECW shirts along with Paul Heyman. Bradshaw chokes Savio on the post nearest the trio. Savio manages to drag him into it. Savio lines up Bradshaw, but Sandman stands up and sprays a load of beer over him before then just smashing the can over his forehead and covering Savio in even more beer. There's a very good reaction from the crowd for that. Vince says, quote, There is a local wrestling group here in Philadelphia obviously trying to make a name for themselves here at the expense of the World Wrestling Federation. Referees, not security, tell Sandman and Dreamer to go back. I thought that was quite noteworthy. Sandman poses atop the chair, but they get led away to more mild ECW chants. The match continues, but was very much secondary for a while. The fans are clearly distracted before the trio eventually get led away from the arena. 
Savio whips Bradshaw hard across the back. Savio starts the count but gets the three. Gets the three. Obviously, this is a four corners match, but Bradshaw pulls him back in before the fourth. He tries again and Bradshaw flips him over before hitting a really nice big boot. Bradshaw tries this time, you know, the drill. Heel gets the three. Face gets the three. Heel goes to four. Nearly gets the four. Bradshaw can't get the four, so he yanks Vega towards him, but he pulls him so hard, Bradshaw falls over. Vega flies over the top of him, touches the fourth turnbuckle, and wins the match. Craig? Is there a guy that appeared on more pay-per-view, well, had more pay-per-view matches in 1996 than Savio Vega? And, yeah. if, and what did we do to deserve that? Doesn't feel like it. Did he not wrestle about 300 times at King of the Ring? Last year. Uh, wrong, wrong year. All right. Uh, all sort of, every Savio Vega sort of blends into one. Uh, this was, I, I, I hate Caribbean strap matches. They seem to just have the same formula every single time. So you sort of knew that that pull kerfuffle thing at the end was going to be how it, how it would end. A d- dreadful, dreadful match. Crap gimmick overshadowed by a couple of CW uh, wrestlers at ringside. It's difficult to sort of wax lyrical about this bout. Uh, just jumping on Craig's point here, I don't know whether they see Savio Vega as Mr. Philadelphia, but he's wrestled six times, including heats, um, in the last two Oh, God, yeah, because that was in Philadelphia, wasn't it? Yeah, King of the Ring 95. Yeah, yeah good shout. Um, and we'll get yeah. to later on, but... Yeah, it, it's it was it's insane. I don't know whether they see Savio Vega as like the new ECW kind of you know hotbed, but it's it's insane. Um, jumping on again, Craig's point here. I thought the last Caribbean strap match of Austin was pretty good. I don't know whether that was because they had more time to do more stuff, or whether Austin's a much obviously a much better worker than Bradshaw. But I, I can't tell you how much I I got pissed off by the fact that it was literally exactly the same finish as the Austin match. I mean, come on, you've had... Well, well, it, it, it's also literally exactly the same finish as every strap match in history, right? Yeah, pretty much. But it's involving and the same a, guys. That. Well... Just, you know, come on. Strap matches by design are inherently one-dimensional. There's only one way of finishing the match, and that's exactly it. I think the fault was more picking the match than it was the finish. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was just there. I, you know, Vega is dull as dishwater, and Bradshaw at this point has got a half decent look, but he's still very punch kicky in his offense. So there's nothing much interesting going on there. So yeah, it was it was a very a very bland one and a half star. It was just there, no harm done. And as you said, the main thing point of this match was to get over the stuff with the, with the ECW wrestlers. Which I thought they did a good job of, but yeah, this actual match itself was, yeah, just. There. Yeah, the, the the match was dreadful. Um, you know, to an extent, it was designed not to be very good, and we'll we'll come to why in a second. But yeah, I said it before. Savio's awful. I don't know. We haven't seen enough of Bradshaw yet. He throws a nice big boot, but you know, that's about it at the moment. Um, but the whole point of the match was to set up for 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 an angle was effectively a backdrop for an angle that you know technically happened in the background. Um, Craig, I, I know you're not the biggest DCW fan, um, and I, I think there's there's probably a lot of questions coming out of this that we're not in a great position to answer right now, which is where, if anywhere, this angle's going. But as, as a first night, I thought they did really well with this. Yeah, I, I thought the angle itself was good, but I couldn't help but notice that the, the commentators 
seem to go out of their way to bury the promotion. So uh, if the, if this does lead to a payoff angle, you can imagine it being somewhat one-sided. But but isn't that kind of the point though? In that you know, because one thing that they were talking about both with this, but also in terms of the what happened on Raw was the idea they were trying to make it look as realistic as possible. And they couldn't have gone too overboard, and so just just dismissing it. I mean, I, I kind of, in my own mind, I felt it was an angle for the fans more than it was for the people watching on TV. I think that, you know, Dan references King of the Ring last year, and he's quite right to point out that, of course, was in Philadelphia as well. And that was that was the show where we ended up with Savio and Mabel in the final, and they got that big, long kind of bear hug in, and there was a massive ECW chat. I wonder whether... To a point, they thought, crap, we might get this again. Let's try and, you know, the, the idea was they maybe thought of trying to burn the crowd out on it or just kind of you know, get them over that point. Um, I, I thought, Craig, what they executed, they executed quite well, perhaps with the exception that if there are people in the front row getting involved, wouldn't security deal with it rather than referees? Yeah, that is a, that's a valid point. That did, that did seem a little bit strange. Dan? Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head with the getting ECW out of the crowd system as early as possible because, you know, judging by the state of this undercard, they could have been really chanting ECW quite loudly um, by the point Undertaker Goldust happened had they not got this out of the system early because it was a very good angle for the fans to kind of go, oh, hey, it's Dreamer and Sandman at a WWF wrestling event. Bloody hell. Um, And doing that at that point, A, kind of gets over the crowd and possibly develops a part, you know, partnership that we've kind of alluded to in the past with, with WWF and ECW that could be happening. Um, you know, there could be something to do with Pillman. They could do something with, you know, Taz probably down the line, some sort of talent exchange. I don't know what's going to happen with it, but I think that they need to treat them as if they are, you know, minor for this point because, you know, you know, apart from the creative product, they are in terms of, budget in terms of crowd attendances in terms of merch sales they are still quite a low level behind the WWF at this point so if they are going to do a payoff for it I would you know I'd be interested to see what they do but I agree with you Bob I thought it was executed really well and timed really well as well I can't help but feeling that if you wanted to quell the possibility of ECW chance why not just put on a really fucking good show like that was well, 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 yeah, but you know that you know, that's that that's that's probably the bigger point. But yeah, like that was that was my big takeaway was you were that worried about ECW, you potentially ruined one of your one of only six matches on the card for the sake of hoping the crowd would stay quiet. I mean, it could have gone wrong. Um, that maybe they just got their fill and and that kind of thing. Um, I I can only think this is leading somewhere because I can't think what. Yeah, you know, to accept what either side really got out of this in, in a in a two night shot. I mean, ECW got a little bit of exposure, but not really anything overt enough to the point where, unless you knew who they were already, I don't think you profit from it. And WWF just got a couple of quick segments out of it. But one thing I, yeah, you know, Craig, you talk about them burying them like that. You know, it, it's the it's the Batman Bigelow Lawrence Taylor angle from the Royal Rumble last year. You can't. You know, you can't react to the Bam Bam Bigelow angle and try and treat it as real by replaying it 15 times and by making a big deal out of it for the rest of the show. You cut away, True. you apologise, and you move on. They got that right, and I think they got this right as well. Well, you know, it's got to go somewhere for this to matter, 
And, you know, for, I don't know when they're in Philadelphia next, presumably fairly soon. Most of the TVs are in the Northeast. Um, but if they're going to, you know, it, it, it could help both sides. ECW, I think, will, will jump all over the chance. And I haven't watched their TVs yet. And to an extent, I think we're going to see some ECW TV probably play out in October rather than in September. Um, but I think ECW will jump all over. You're the WWF. ECW have got some guys you might want to bring in. Yeah, that, that, that could be something to work there. Anyway, we'll move on. We cut backstage during Jim Cornette's entrance to a long shot of two men attacking Savio Vega. It's Razor and Diesel, apparently. Uh, they scarf before the camera can get a good view. More on that later in the show. I, in this I was show, scared not that in going to happen with Savio Vega match after that. Make it seven. It's happened before. Could though, could done, yeah. Um, you know, for, for, well, I mean, if you went to both shows, both tapings, you might have got one. In uh, in Hershey, depending on when they taped that. Anyway, anyway, but no, Dan, thankfully, okay. Yeah, not not in not in in your house shows. In more on that later in this podcast. Anyway, next up, it's Jim Cornette versus Jose Lothario. Um, Craig, Jim Cornette's ring gear. It's uh, it's something else. It's, uh, it's uh, I, I, there's just such a an amusing out. Hearing Vader's theme tune hitting and expecting the sort of big super heavyweight, and we just get a rather heavyweight Jim Cornette. <laughs> it's like uh, like the Michelin Man meets Dennis the Menace was my uh, my takeaway from his gear. Down, it was probably the only noteworthy thing of the, the next three minutes. Oh, I don't know. The image of Jose the Ferrier come out to sexy boy has got to be up there. Yeah, no, you're right. That's true. Uh, yeah, Cornette takes Jesus the mic, Christ. does his usual stuff. Cornette has Vader's music, so Lothario gets Sean. Yeah, that, it, we, we think it was jarring when Cornette came out the Vader's theme. Lothario coming out the sexy boy was, um, quite something. Um, the match starts. Cornette takes a swing. Lothario hits a punch, then a chop, then whips him off the ropes for another punch. So work with the turnbuckle, then a punch, then a slap, and that's enough. As Lothario picks up the win. Dan. At least they kept this short. Um, judging by what WDF has done this year and the last couple of years, this could have they could have easily given this five or six minutes and they could have stunk out the entire arena. Um, keeping it at one minute kept the match from you know just being ridiculously long. It allowed the announcers to get their jokes in, and Cornette, you know, is, is just great with slapstick. So you know. Even though we had all this you know, training montage of stuff with Vader, and then we had him just getting decked by Lavario with all his hilarious facial expressions, uh, it, it could, this could have been a lot worse. But as, even as it was, it was still like you know a waste of time, and it could have this this could have been added on to another couple of matches and possibly helped. But it was where it was, and at least it was only a minute long. Craig. Yeah, the the only saving grace for this one was the fact that it came in at less than a minute. This was pretty terrible. Uh, and I, I, I don't see how this would really keep you that focused on Vader versus Shawn Michaels seeing their uh, aging managers fight, but it's probably not the worst decision the WWF made in 1996. No, uh, you know, I, I guess it's it's what's the alternative. And, you know, it's probably a match with the Godwins, um, in which case I probably would have taken this, I suppose. Um, yeah, it was bad though. Um, you know, it was an angle more than it was a match, but I just, you know, 
I think the crowd are into Sean and Vader. I don't think they're into this. I mean, I know, I know Vader needs Cornette in that Vader's quite a wild promo and sometimes he's a guy that can just, you know, hit, hit his, hit his pots, you know, hit, hit his positions where he needs to be. Um, you know, I'll never know why the theory was with Michaels really, other than Michaels owing him a favor, I guess. Um, but not enough people care about this view for this to matter. Um, but yeah, this could have been a drag out. This could have been four, five, six minutes, and then it would have been horrendous. As it was, you know, it, it was 55 seconds long. I don't think it could have been a second longer. I don't think uh, it went about as long as it could have done. Um, but yeah, on this card, I don't know. Like it's the kind of thing where let's do this, but let's you know sandwich two or three really good matches around it. And as we've kind of alluded to, they uh, they're not able to do that. Anyway. You know all those beautiful sights of Philadelphia we've all been seeing? The landmarks, the Liberty Bell, this gorgeous state-of-the-art facility. Well, they represent less than one-half of one percent of this sewer. Our founding fathers are rolling over their graves right now. Because the birthplace of freedom has become a cesspool of drug abuse, battered women, and welfare recipients. Wow. And if you need any more proof, just take a look at the scum, illiterate degenerates that sit before me. We apologize for oh, disparaging I'm going to lose all of favor. I'm going to bring some class to this program. I'm going to bring out the King of Hearts, Slammy Award winner. And in my book, the best there is, the best there was, and the best there ever will be, Owen Hart. Brian Pillman, obviously, promised he was a little Bret Hart. And uh, Brian Pillman has a great deal of egg on his face. And I would suggest that's why he is taking the offense here live at the beautiful Four State Center. Uh, I don't know what Brett sat on. And I know there's been bad blood over the years between you two. He's always resented your youth, your athleticism. And it certainly didn't help matters when you beat him at WrestleMania 10. But when Brett started facing retirement in the eye, I thought you had made amends. You had reconciled. Well, you know, Pill, I thought everything was great between me and Brett. We kind of patched everything up last few months. Brett has started to accept that I truly have the best heart. He's getting older. He's getting slower. He's not the technical wrestler he once was, and he's finally admitted that I truly am the best there is, was, and ever will be. But for Brett to come out and call not only me, but you as well a liar, that is uncalled for. And he gave us his personal guarantee. Positively. You know how I remember, as he said, in Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, he would be right here and give a speech to all these people just about what we had talked about previously. All these losers, I might add. <laughs> well, you know, I'm a little bit confused about Brett. You know, he might be getting senile, senile or something because we made an arrangement for him to be here, and for some reason, he's not here. Why do you think he's not here? 
Well, the only thing that I could think of that would keep my brother Brett away from this Philadelphia is that he's scared. Of me, right? No, no. He's not scared of you. He's not even that scared of me. He's a little scared of me. But the reason that he is scared and that fear is in his eyes is for none other reason than the 1996 King of the Ring, a man none other than Stone Cold Steve Austin. Whoa. Uh, it looks like we need to talk to this man. Stone Cold Let's bring Steve him Austin out. has challenged Brett the Hitman Hart on numerous occasions. This is the man that my brother Brett indeed, is we had of. hoped that Brett was going to join us. And I can see why. Certainly, there was no promise whatsoever to the World Wrestling Federation that he would be here. Only allegedly to oh, Owen and Brock Cole. Nonetheless, I'm sure Brett will soon be making up his mind as to whether or not he's going to return to action at all. And some believe. Certainly a lot of his family members believe he should just retire and accept all of the wonderful accolades that he has achieved here in the World Wrestling Federation. And folks, he's done it all. He really has nothing more to prove. Quit while he's ahead is what you're saying. Stone Cold, you've heard our thoughts on this. Why do you think Brett's not here? The whole world knew that Bret Hart wasn't going to show up. Stone Cold sure as hell knew that. The bottom line is, when Stone Cold's in the house, Bret Hart is at his house because he's scared of Stone Cold. And that's the bottom line. As soon as I rolled into the WWF, Bret Hart, you packed your bags and took your carcass back to Canada. Are you trying to say Bret Hart's a chicken? Bret Hart doesn't even qualify as being a chicken. He's a slimy substance that runs out of the south end of a chicken. Let me make myself clear. If you put the letter S in front of Hitman, you've had my exact opinion of All right, I don't think Bret we Hart. have to go there. I don't think we have to go there at all. Brett, you and me are alike in a lot of ways. You say you're the excellence of execution. I live it every day of my life. The problem with you is you always cared what these people thought. Stone Cold never gave a rat's ass about anybody. Brett, if you ever do come back, and I hope you do, son, we're going to get in this same ring, and somebody's going to get their ass whipped, and Austin 316 says it's going to be your ass, and that's the bottom line, because Stone Cold said so. And Philadelphia sucks, because I said so. Steve Austin and his commentary. We come next to, well, in big segment. Out comes Brian Pillman. Pillman is noticeably walking much better than he was the last time we saw him. Pillman, back where he cut his great promo in February, he says that he's going to prove he's an honest man. Slags off Philadelphia, calls it a cesspool of drug abuse, battered women and welfare recipients. He then brings out Hart. Owen Hart. Owen says he and Brett have patched everything up and that Brett has admitted that Owen is the better performer. Owen says Brett's scared, not of Pillman, not even of Owen but instead of Stone Cold Steve Austin. Austin comes out. He says Brett is scared of Stone Cold, calls him chicken shit. You put the letter S in front of Hitman, you get my exact opinion on you, Brett Hart. And that's about it. Uh, Dan, thoughts on this? Um, For me, this was actually really, really good. Um, To Pillman and Austin, who are in the running for promo of the year so far this year, um, and Owen can always cut a decent promo on Brett. 
Um, Austin's, you know, he's, he's good. He's, he's on fire right now. Um, those two lines about, you know, the slimy substance that comes out of a chicken and S in front of it, man, are two of the most memorable promo lines of the year so far for me. Um, and along really? with the... Implying chicken shit, is, is that one of the better promo lines of the year? Like When we're comparing this to, say, some of the stuff Arn Anderson's doing right now, and I know you may not have seen much of that, um, maybe in the WWF, but I, I don't know Austin's in, in well, promo of the year. Okay. Of, yeah. You know, okay. What, what, what promo line can you think of WWF so far, apart from Austin 316? Um, you know... Some of Vader's, Vader's shouting, maybe, and the Diane stuff and Bulldog, Cornette stuff, but come on, you know, in WF terms, this is night and day for what we're normally getting. Well, Cornette's a better promo than this, but Cornette's not an active performer, I suppose. Uh, yeah. Craig? Yeah, I, I really like, like this segment. I like all three of the of the people involved, so that obviously helps. And, uh, yeah, it's just still kind of... It, it just is that sort of weird journey from the... the cartoony campy stuff of of old and now you've got Austin hinting at least at swearing on TV you know it's just then the next match you see the smoking guns it's just that sort of it's interesting seeing the WWF at the the moment and the sort of journey that it's on but still a long way to go but yes this segment I did enjoy Um, Calabine different Uh, I, I didn't think this was all that i mean i like all three guys but we essentially had a promo you know Pillman doing some quite generic stuff on philadelphia i've seen a better version of this promo this year already admittedly in ecw is always likely to be owen comes out and says kind of what we, we've heard all before and then he says oh brett's scared of steve austin and my main thought was why like that, that was, you know, and I know they're heels, so I know it doesn't have to make sense, but you know, there's got to be some semblance to it for me to believe it. I guess the link was that Austin was King of the Ring winner and that, you know, Brett was before, but it's like, well, Brett wasn't scared of Mabel. Nobody was scared. Well, people were scared of Mabel for a very different reason. Like, Undertaker was scared of Mabel. Well, that's true, as was Diesel. Um, but you know, and then Austin comes out and I'm thinking, okay, we need a, we need a hook here, really. You know, we've had Austin, who's not really done that much since King of the Ring. We need a hook here to make me interested in this program and setting up with Bret Hart. And the best thing Austin can do is call him chicken shit. And I kind of thought, well, all right, you had you had quite a good you had quite a good joke with shit man that nobody's ever thought of before, clearly. And and it was like, and then it ended, and I thought. Yeah, you know, like I, I think it'll get better. Austin's good, Brett's good. They'll work it out ahead of the match. You know, they've got a couple of months. But well, it's still better me- than Jose Lothario Cornet, though, right? Well, well, yeah, but you know, <laughs> like, the bar's pretty low if that's the if that's the explanation. I just kind of would have expected more from all three, and I kind of feel that if they're gonna do, you know, Brett and Stone Cold feels flat right now. And it feels flat because Austin's flat Does right it now. really? Does well, it? I, I can't. It, it feels like, I mean, the match should be pretty good because both guys are pretty, well, Brett's very good and Austin's pretty good. But the, the program feels flat. I know Austin's king of the ring, but, you know, when, when Owen Hart won king of the ring, he main evented SummerSlam. God forbid when King Mabel won king of the ring, he main evented SummerSlam. Austin won king of the ring, and it was clearly quite a late change, and I still think Vader should have won it. But Austin won king of the ring, and then he's just kind of been 
losing Raw main events and, you know, random stuff and not really appearing on TV. Like, you know, he's been in battle royals for, for championship shots and been losing. Like, what, why does Bret Hart fear Steve Austin? Like, that's what they need I to... Think, I'm not talking about, like, that fear thing, because that's just, oh, and, you know, doing his normal kind of douchebag brother stick, but I still think that that, you know, the shit man and the slimy substance stuff is more that we've got out of WWF promo guys since, you know, top three of this year. You know, Cornette maybe... That, that's a very low bar. That's but, a yeah, very low just... bar. Yeah, but still, I still think we've, that's done more to build this match than quite a lot of the majority of the main events. Now, what is, I, I don't think the Shawn Michaels Vader build was good at all. The Mankind Shawn Michaels stuff wasn't good at all. And in terms of promo getting me psyched for a match, the rest of the car has been doing anywhere close to this sort of level. There's nothing, there's been yeah, nothing okay. with that, with that sort of thing in terms of like building a match in, in terms of participation. It just feels me a WWF start at the minute. It's more of a move week to week, move month to month. And then, oh, we'll just, oh, it's Shawn Michaels was Vader this time. Oh, it's a uh, Mankind Undertaker. But in terms of like, there's no promos involved in it. This is just a guy coming out here and talking shite about a guy who's incredibly well respected. And that's something that we've not seen from WWF in two, three years, really, from my perspective. In terms of Bret Hart, it's mainly just like, oh, is it really, you know, look at the Bret Sean feud at WrestleMania. That was a, he's a really good wrestler, but I think I'm a better wrestler, so I'm going to do all my best to beat him. That's better you know, than the, me. The diesel. I mean, I, I know, what? I know. That, yeah, it is. Like, well, because neither are very no, good. No. That's the point. I mean, we're, we're giving, we're giving them credit for like very, very basic stuff. We're giving them credit for Steve Austin coming up with shit, man. Like, that's how low the bar has got this year in this company. Like, I know what you mean. They don't do a lot of this kind of stuff and they should do more, but they need better stuff than this for it to be any good. Like, I just, you know, I, I, I think they'll work it out. Brett's good. Austin's good. They got six more weeks, seven, however long between now and Survivor Series. They got time. But, like, this was a cold, no pun intended, a cold start to this program. But I know what you mean, Dan. In the scope of some other pro- programs this year, this was a very basic plot point that a lot of them were missing. And, it might come together. I just thought it was flat. I think all three are capable of better. And I think if you're going to have a, you know, because I, I, I get, I kind of think that you're bringing back Bret Hart for his big return match. And I know, I understand that Bret probably wants to work with Austin. But right now, like, if I'm rating where they are on the roster, this feels like Bret Hart and Jean-Pierre Lafitte. And Bret Hart and Jean-Pierre Lafitte had a great match over a shit angle. It's still possible, but like, we need more than this. That's that. That was my thought. But they got time. It's not over yet. As long as they're not feeding over a jacket, as long as Austin doesn't steal Bret Hart's jacket, I think we'll be okay. Let's move on. Uh, oh, Craig, anything that we put on that, by the way, before we move on? Uh, no, I, I'm pretty much happy with everything that's been discussed. Right. So you you agree with both of us? That's that's good to know. Right. Well, there you go. <laughs> yeah. there you go. Uh, Somewhere in the we, middle. You yes. agree with both of us, even though we completely disagree. 
Yes. Well, well, to be fair, we did know that Craig agrees with you. Uh, with you know, we did hear that at the start. Anyway, we were on next. Owen Hart, Owen Hart did literally go backstage and then come straight back out for his match with the British Bulldog. Uh, they're not with Jim Cornette, as we see, who we see is being seen by a physician and Clarence Mason, who talks him into signing something. I'll mention it now because we don't really get to talk about it otherwise. It turns out Mason got Cornette in his day's state, post-match on a stretcher, to sign over the rights of the Owen and Bulldog tag team to him, to Mason. So that's, uh, that plays in a little bit to what we see on here, but more on TV following. They're facing the smoking guns, Billy and Bart, with Sonny for the WWF tag team titles. We see the big-ass Sonny centerfold photo drop again, and this time it's been defaced by Bulldog and Owen, which, while comical, doesn't really make a great deal of sense since they're both heels, and all, all four of them are heels, actually. But I think the idea was we need to give the audience some reason to cheer Owen and Bulldog, and that was the plan. Billy goes for a quick ball on Owen, who almost gets caught. Seems like Owen was distracted by Clarence Mason, who comes out to talk with Owen and Bulldog. Owen gets a broadly press of one. Billy kneels and shouts something inaudible. Some decent action from Bulldog and Bart. Bulldog hits a drop kick and then Owen spears the back of Bart's knee as Bulldog holds him up. That was really nice. Bulldog kicks, uh, kicks up and hits a leg drop. After a dubious tag, Vince says, you'd have to be Rubber Man or Plastic Man or Andre the Giant to make that tag. Someone can get me Plastic Man for Christmas. That'd be really nice. With the referee attracted, Billy attacks Bulldog on the outside then rams him into the steps. We get a nice double team move with Billy vaulting off of Bart's back for a flying punch. The guns hit their big double team leg drop. Jim Ross calls it a sidewinder. With Mason distracting the ref, Owen comes off the top and breaks up the potential pinfall. Bulldog drops Bart into Billy after Sonny distracted Billy. Billy shoves Bart. Bulldog hits a running power slam on Bart. And that's enough for the win. Billy looks stunned in, after his error costs and titles. And after the match, we get a promo. And it looks like breaking up Sonny in the guns as she fires them. Craig? Fires the guns. Was that intentional? Um... No, but yeah, well, I'll take it. <laughs> it worked well. Uh, I, I like Owen and Bulldog as a team, but I, I just this match didn't just seem to click. You know, it just it looked like it could be all right on paper, but there just seemed to be something missing. Uh, wasn't terrible. Certainly never going to make any list for the best match of the year, but it's kind of good to see the tag titles off the smoking guns. Dan. Yeah, I, I thought this was okay. Um, it's as it's. it's Great that we finally got the tag belts off those terrible, fab, you know, ferocious four, the new rockers, Godwin's body donors and smoking guns and actually got it on a team that actually merits the belts. Um, cause I thought these two teams, you could see the difference in class in the two halves of the match where Bulldog and Owen control, they, it looked crisp, it was focused. Owen hit that great chop block on Bart Gunn, which I, which made me pop. Um, it was focused and attack, but then when the guns took over, it was sloppy. It was two or three steps out of pace. You know, Billy takes like two or three seconds longer than normal to throw Bulldog into steps. They cock up that corner splash in the, you know, with Billy jumping off Bart's back and then landing right in front of Bulldog and then punching him rather than actually splashing him. Um, and yeah, it's great that the Bulldog and Owen now have the belts, but it doesn't mean that we're out in the desert yet, you know, in the tag division in 96 because. Okay, great. They've got, they've got the belts. Who are they going to feud with? The guns again, the Godwins, the new rockers. You know, it's, it's still the dregs in terms of the actual division. So Vince needs to go out and get in more tag teams or 
getting some new new staff or whatever. Because the way it's going at the minute, we're, we're still going to get mare feuds or we're going to get inactive and the belts is going to become kind of props, which is which in my opinion is, is sometimes worse than having crap matches. Um, so we're not out of the woods yet, but a good start. Yeah, it's sometimes worse, but it generally isn't. But yeah, I know what you mean. It feels like we've got one good tag team now rather than none, which is at least an improvement. And I feel like for a couple of months we could get a decent match out of these two and the new rockers because, you know, all four of those guys can work. Um, the body donors are no more. Um, I think one of them's injured. Um, so we've got that. Um, and they'll rematch this again as well. But yeah, you're right. I mean, the tag team division's been, you know, flat. I mean, really, it's been flat since the Quebec has left. Uh, that's how long it's been. Um, but yeah, like if they can, th- this is a nice step in the right direction. Bulldog now he signed his new deal is probably a bit more motivated. Owen Hart is always good. Um, they had an they clearly wanted to do the switch, even though we had a heel versus heel team, which is why they decided to do all the stuff they did. Um, it just about worked. But the match, let's, let's not, let, yeah, the match was barely good. It was probably average, but you know, WWF tag team match standards, it was fine. We get a squealy promo from Paul Bearer. Mankind says he has misery and destiny on the cards for Shawn Michaels. Next up is Lawler coming out. We see a clip from the free-for-all. Mark Henry stars and strikes tracksuit and flat cap really need to be seen to be believed. Uh, Craig, I'd say this tops Cornets look (laughs) <laughs> it's uh, yes, it's not great, is it? I mean, I, I get that you know he was at the Olympics with the United States, um, but I, I, the the flat cap. I mean, yeah, the singlet was something else, but like the commitment to go with the singlet and the cap was brilliant. I mean, Dan, I'm guessing the idea was we'll make him a baby face by sticking him in stars and stripes gear, but this is a hell of an extreme way to do it. Yeah, it just seems to be, we don't know what we're going to do with this new bloke. What's making the American flag? Which seems to be Vince's yes. default way of making a guy a babyface. But also, <laughs> like, he came 14th out of 19 in Olympics. And considering the amount of gold medalists the America got, he's not exactly the biggest Olympic hero they have, really. No, well, I, I get the feeling that they kind of worked this all out before it happened. And then I get the, I, I'm under the impression that he got injured at the, um, before the Olympics. Mm. So, like we, like, in fairness though, Britain only won 15 medals, you know, at yeah. Atlanta. So, yeah. you know, we we can't exactly complain that cause we we'd be making, you know, Chris Boardman like our national hero, and he got a bronze in the cycling. So that that's not. Well, you know, if, if they want to do something too. else with Owen Hart, they could do Bulldog and Boardman. I mean, you know, <laughs> it, it'd be different. Anyway, enough cycling that on the show. <laughs> We move on. Jerry Lawler versus Mark Henry. Henry tries to whip up the crowd and does a hammerlock reversal. A lot of stalling here. Lawler goes for a body slam on Henry. He, of course, isn't able to do it. Henry slams him for good measure. King runs at Henry. Henry sidesteps him and King does flying through the middle rope head first to the floor. That looked quite dangerous. I think Lawler was meant to tangle himself up with the ropes on the way out and he just missed. Uh, Henry hits some powerful looking knees. He puts a back base of submission on Backbreaker submission onto King, and that's enough for the win. 
After the match, Marty Gennetti and Lee Cassidy run out to attack Henry and runs them off. Out comes Hunter Hurst Helmsley, remember him. He gets body pressed onto Gennetti and Cassidy on the outside. And that will do that. Dan? Um, we thought Ahmed Johnson was green. Bloody hell, look at Mark Henry. He had no business being on pay-per-view right now. Um, at least it felt nervous. like Henry, Henry was trying to do safe stuff. But I know what you mean. I still think... Yeah, he, this guy does not need to be on pay-per-view right now. He needs another few months of training before he's even competent in the ring because this felt so scripted in the worst way possible. It was like, no, you will go now, you will do a shoulder block, then you will do a throw, then you will do an arm rock, and then you'll do a backbreaker. Don't do anything else, just relax. And he still, he still looked wooden, and he looked, I know he's meant to be portraying this American hero, you know, power guy. But he looked really sad and sorry whenever he threw Joe Lawler across the ring a couple of times. His eyes just convey kindness and, and pity whenever he threw him across the ring. And it, it doesn't look like a powerhouse. Like Ahmed Johnson, he conveys like he's a badass, even though he is dangerous as hell. But Henry does not look like that at all. He looks soft and he looks really nervous and looks really kind in the ring. And that's not a good look. Um, but yeah, Joe Lawler, is, even though he's still doesn't belong in the WWF 96 as a perfect kind of opponent. He's he's goofy, he's silly, and he's a good hand to guide a newbie for the ring. So if you're going to do this match, fine, keep him in there. Um, but again, I had no he had no business being in the ring, Mark Henry, and I thought this was awful. Okay. I'd, I think I'd probably rather watch an Andre the Giant match from 1990 than a 1996 Mark Henry match. This He's just so bad. He, it's, it's weird, like you mentioned the uh, using the stars and stripes stuff to make a baby face, but you, you almost think that uh, when it comes to black wrestlers, Vince McMahon doesn't know anything other than making them sort of big, dominating, scary type guys. Because I mean, it's what he did with Ahmed, and it seems to be what the only thing he's got in mind for Mark Henry as well. To yeah, an extent, is, what, what else do you do with a guy Mark Henry's size? No, it's, it's, it's a, you're absolutely right. It's not as if there, there's much there and there doesn't seem to be much in the way of in-ring ability or after hearing him on the mic, uh, was it last month or the month before? Uh, it doesn't seem to be much in the way of charisma there either, but I, I, it just seems like an odd, an odd signing to have spent so much on Mark Henry without clearly anything in mind from him. If, he, if he'd won gold medal, over there, we'd maybe be having a very different conversation, but yeah, it's, this match was there, but that's about it. Yeah, um, I, this was very reminiscent of the real early days of the Giant in WCW. That was really only a year ago. And not the Giants improved significantly, but I, I, I think when Dan talks about, you know, it looked very, you know, you didn't mention the word choreographed, but I think that was where you were going. Mm. Um, and, and one thing you saw about the giant early doors was that it's clear he'd been trained to do the basics, but he had no transitions at all. And he's, he started on that path in the last year or so. Not much more than that, but he started that way. Um, but that's clearly a problem. And we're, you know, it's, you know, it's like, this doesn't belong on this card alongside a card that also involves Jose Lothario and Jim Cornette. Like, you can't have just two genuine duds. And Mark Henry, you know, the only thing you can say is that while Mark Henry doesn't belong on a pay-per-view card in 1996, neither does Jerry Lawler. They both don't. 
Um, Laura wasn't necessarily the worst opponent. I think the idea was the match will stink, but Laura should be able to get some sympathy on Henry. I don't know that it worked. Who knows? Anyway, they're advertising a buried live match for next month, whatever that is. They're calling it unsanctioned. I will move on next to Goldust with Marlena versus The Undertaker. Undertaker levels Goldust as we go off at a pace. Marlena gets a slap in on Undertaker. Goldust hits a neckbreaker, but Undertaker sits up. Undertaker hits a big boot so soft, even Hulk Hogan might complain. He follows that with a big suplex. Undertaker drops a punch off the top rope. Goldust goes into Marlena's bag. Meanwhile, Undertaker picks up Marlena from the floor and brings her to the apron, which is quite the visual. He's leaning over the top rope when he did it. Uh, meanwhile, Goldust chucks glitter into the Undertaker's eyes. Goldust takes that advantage and dominates the next few minutes. Undertaker rallies. Goldust slaps him. Taker sits up. Goldust climbs the second rope. Undertaker chokes, slams him off it, then hits a tombstone, and that will do that. Craig. Craig. This was a, this was really quite a strange match. Nothing seemed to be happening. It just seemed to be filler, and then it finished. It was strange. It just seemed really odd. I mean, I know we're not ever getting five star classics from the Undertaker, but nothing happened, and then it went to the finish. But it was like ten minutes of nothing. Really, really strange, and of this show, typically terrible match. Damn. In comparison to, like, Mankind, who's brought out arguably Taker's best work in five years and had interesting matches, you know, it's, it's compelling, you know, Boiler Room Brawl and the, and the one at King of the Ring, which was quite good, there is nothing interesting about this feud for Gold, with Goldust, and they've had three matches together. It makes it's no three. sense. Goldust, three matches, but at the last, three in your houses, and they've all been crap. You know, this, yeah. this makes no sense. Gold, Goldust is a man who tries to bring out like the hidden homosexual lust of his of his opponents by aggressively flirting and groping them to distract them long enough to win, right? And that works with like Ahmed Johnson and Razor Ramon because they're big, muscly men with a lot of testosterone flowing through them. Undertaker is an undead zombie who can safely assume has no interest in the desire of the living flesh at all. So he should literally be the last person that Goldust feuds with. Because it got, it should have no effect. So the story to me doesn't make sense, and it, and I could forgive it if the matches were good, and they've not. They've they've all been rubbish. They've literally had literally accounted four moves that Goldust did in this entire match, and the rest of it was him rubbing himself and rubbing Taker's eyes. This is yeah, awful. There's, there's no heat anymore in these Goldust matches, is there? I think that's that's the the the, the yeah. big problem. But yeah, no. it's, it's a character that doesn't lend itself to good wrestling. It, it's a balance that mankind has got a far better balance of, mainly because mankind gives mankind Mick Foley, Cactus Jack, the excuse to kill himself, and a character that kind of makes sense. But mm. like that, all in mind, it just didn't work. Match was very good. Fortunately, it wasn't that long. Um, but Undertaker just needs better opponents. Goldust probably needs a new gimmick. I know they've done a lot with this, but it's going nowhere. Um, and yeah, interesting to see where it goes. Craig, what do you think of Goldust's future? It's just really strange. I mean, he, he, he came in and it seemed totally, totally different and it was toned down and he's just seemed, he seems to just be having endless feuds in which he loses, which uh, which naturally doesn't bode very well. It does just seem sometimes perhaps 
Mankind and Undertaker might be the exceptions that when it's not just a sort of standard wrestler, if there's depth, if there's more character involved, the WWF sometimes struggle to know what to do. Uh, and I mean, sure, the Mankind's still quite new in the scene and we were just quite critical of the Undertaker. But Goldust, they just, just don't seem to know what they, what they want from him and how to get there, I guess. It's just, he it seems like he's just going to, endlessly lose and be uninteresting. I think he might need to sort of reinvent himself, if you will, further down the line at this rate. Yeah, um, it, it just it just doesn't mesh. It, the, the, there's no the, there's no character here that you know Goldust can really oppose because one they for the wrong reasons or the right reasons just don't have the guts to go far enough with the Goldust character that they probably need to to make any of this work. Goldust at sixty percent just doesn't make sense. Um, and the pairing with The Undertaker, who's a, a, an equal but opposite in terms of a very out there character that again is somewhat struggling to find a, a way of transitioning a very compelling out of ring character into an in ring act. He's getting there. We've had better matches. It doesn't help they keep putting him with stinkers of opponents. Like it's not like, you know, Goldust had a bad match with Mark Merrow last month, which was quite impressive. So there's that. But it, it, it's just, it's just an odd formula. It doesn't work. I, you know, I wouldn't be against them bringing them back as Dustin Rhodes. Um, mm. there'd be at least something there. But anyway, we move on to the main event. It's Mankind with Paul Bearer versus Shawn Michaels for the WWF title. A casket gets wheeled out to ringside. My notes are very long, by the way. Uh, Bearer opens up the casket and upsets Mankind. Mankind starts with a backdrop. He goes to the outside and pulls up the ring matting, which Sean kicks. Mankind gets covered by the matting and Sean kind of stamps and dances all over it for hitting a splash from the top onto the standing Mankind. Sean pushes Mankind onto the concrete and Mankind hits his head. At least he's doing this one in the main event. Michaels ducks a punch and hits a clothesline and drops an elbow from the top and is already looking for a sweet chin music. We've only been going for a few minutes. Mankind seeks refuge on the outside. They exchange slaps. Mankind attempts a mandible claw from a choking position. They go to the outside. Mankind moves the table, but Sean vaults over it and takes him out for going for a snap suplex by the stairs. You won't be surprised to hear that Mankind's legs smashed onto the steps. And while I remember the table they moved was the Spanish announce table, and they kind of angled it at a 45 degree angle pointing at the turnbuckle. They get onto the casket. Sean drives Mankind's knee onto the lid. In the ring, Michael hits a nice leg whip, then locks in a figure four. Michaels hits a running drop kick onto Mankind's injured leg before going for a single crab, single leg crab. Michaels gets to the ropes before, but we get a get him off plea from Bearer, which was quite cool. Michaels jumps on Mankind's shoulders, but Mankind drops him neck first onto the top rope. Mankind then starts stabbing his leg with a pencil to try and get some feeling back. Mankind drunkenly staggers about, then hits a running knee in the corner. After taking some punishment, Michaels hits a back suplex. Michaels nutmegs Mankind, then takes him down. Michaels does a flare flip into a tree of woe. Mankind hits a running punch, then a second. The action spills to the outside. Mankind runs at Sean, but hits the steel steps. He goes again, and Michaels hits a drop toe hold again onto the steel steps. We get a double suplex spot on the apron. Neither is able to pull it off. Mankind runs at Sean, but ends up running into the ring post. Michaels runs at Sean. Mankind runs at Sean, sorry. Sean ducks it, and Mankind does his tie-up in the rope spot. 
Sean goes to him, but Mankind briefly gets a mandible claw in place. For what that's worth, the tail they moved earlier is still in place. I think that's going to come into effect in a minute. Michaels yanks Mankind into the guardrail, which knocks the Spanish announcer off his chair. Michaels, Mankind's shaped towards Michaels, who hits him with a chair three times. Michaels gets thrown over the top to the outside. Mankind drops an apron to uh, elbow onto Sean onto the floor, then a swinging neck breaker. Back in the ring, he hits a pile drive, but only for a two. The casket door opens. Mankind pushes Michaels towards it, but it, but Michaels rallies. Michaels comes off with the top ropes hard and hits a big flying shoulder tackle before kicking up and rallying. They got on the top rope. Mankind gets in behind Michaels, hits a back suplex off the second rope to the outside through the table. That was really good. Um, the, I, I didn't really see it at the time, but as they show us at the end, like Mankind goes for a back suplex, but Sean counters it on the way over, so Mankind took the damage from that move. Michaels unfolds a chair in the ring. Mankind climbs onto the apron with another one. Sean vaults off of it and hits a sidekick to the chair. Mankind is holding in front of his face. JR calls it a version of the sweet chin music, which it just about was, although, you know, it, was, it could really do a proper one. One, two... And here comes Vader for the DQ. I think Vader might have missed his cue there because Sean, I don't know whether Vader was going to break up the pin, but he wasn't there in time. So Sean had to kind of stand up and fight him. Uh, in my notes, I've got, did we need that? Uh, we'll come to the post-match stuff in a minute. Craig, what do you think of this? This was excellent. Uh, just hard-hitting. Uh, Mankind really is a sort of great opponent for, for Sean. Uh, you would have thought that sort of Sean is the sort of guy that usually maybe sells for big men, but Mankind was able to look, sorry, make Shawn Michaels look even more like a million dollars. This was brilliant. Uh, I d- really thought it was, well, it, it was a brilliant match, but the finish was a bit lame. Uh, you sort of wonder if maybe the original plan was for Mankind to win the title, and then they changed it quite last minute, but uh, looking at both guys, both guys just look smashing come, uh, after this one. Dan? This is everything I watch wrestling for, really. Um, just hard-hitting, incredible pace, great character work, good psychology, good like kind of in-ring awareness, great spots, brilliant, just incredible. Mankind's a is is a great addition to the upper mid-card main event slot, and it's good that he's feuding with someone with who isn't Taker and having good matches. And and Sean's just, I mean, everyone everyone knows how good he is at the minute. Um, just some like lovely leg work at the start, and then mankind stabbing himself with a pencil. You know, it's it's just that's that's little nuance there has just got me because it's just something that mankind would do, and it just makes sense. Um, yeah, I, I thought this was up there with the Diesel match at In Your House Seven in terms of the best wrestling match of WWF this year. Um, the finish we'll get to in a minute might have taken away from it a little bit, but in terms of I, I, it's a 23, 24 minute match and I never got bored. I never felt almost oh, dragging a little bit too much. It's, I, I was intrigued and engrossed for every minute of it and yeah, I loved it a bit. Great no, match. this this wasn't even like a great wrestling match. It was a great brawl. Like you know, often great match, great wrestling matches, quote unquote, have phases, and you know, one guy on top, the other guy on top, and it it flows like a wrestling match. This didn't, and I thought it was a lot better for it. There's a fantastic moment about five minutes into the match where mankind kind of gets thrown 
to the outside and just kind of sits down to regroup and Bearer comes over to talk to him. And Bearer hands him the urn and Mankind grasps it like a child that's just found his lost toy. That was a fantastic visual. And the entire match was just back and forth, back and forth. Psychology was really good. They told a great story. As you say, Dan, there are plenty of really good 25 minute wrestling matches that kind of can go flat at times. This never had that. I know there, there perhaps is something you said for the pace is almost too quick. And, and one thing, you know, you'll hear me have said a lot on the WCW show this month was there were some really good wrestling matches, but there was some psychology issues and they were doing so much and yet they weren't really slowing down. This never quite got to that point. Um, but so much going on. If I had one qualm, it would be as much as they had to set up the table for the spot. Mankind goes over to the Spanish announce table and spins the table round so it's facing the turnbuckle. The table stays there for 15 minutes. Why didn't the Spanish announcers just move the table back? Like, I, I'm being picky, but that, 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 that was something I thought at least. I'm not, I'm not going to hold that against the match. It was a, a, a small I, I would one. say, Bob, that would you try as, as, if you're Hugo Sivinovich, would you try and get in the way of mankind? Well, they, they buggered mm. off around the other side of the ring soon after. I'd want my table back. But yeah, I'd be a bit facetious. Um, Craig, what do you think of the finish? Like I said, I, I, I don't like the, a sort of deaky finish ending the show uh, like this, especially not a match that was as strong as that. But it, it does sort of make you wonder if the sort of decision was changed last minute instead of having mankind go for having having a run in. Uh, but yeah, it, it could have been better for the match finish. But the actual end of show finish with the Undertaker coming out and uh, destroying uh, mankind was uh, was fantastic. We'll, uh, we'll come to that bit in a second. I mean, Craig, there were thoughts, and there was a brief mention in the Observer that they were thinking perhaps taking the title off of Sean. You know, maybe this month, maybe next, as a way of just kind of sparking some interest. Do you think it would have been a good idea? I'm not entirely convinced that mankind's yet at the top of the game. I know he was in the main event there, but I'm not entirely convinced he is yet a main event. Or I think it'd have been about. A bit short-sighted. I mean, I know that there's obviously been the whole backstage stuff with Shawn Michaels, but I mean, beyond his uh, in-ring actions against Vader at SummerSlam, it's difficult to really see sort of anything he's he's done wrong. And I appreciate if you're the sort of champion, you have to take some sort of of the blame for for ratings and everything. But it's it's hardly all Shawn Michaels' fault when you look at the rest of the the roster. I mean take this show, this is the only match that we're even remotely positive about, so you can't then blame him for a bad pay-per-view if you see what I mean, so I think it would have been a little bit harsh and short-sighted to have stripped Michaels of the title Dan, same question Um, I can understand why they did the DQ, because if if you take a decision to have Sean keep the belt I I think Mankind's too hot to take a clean clean pinfall um, and from that perspective, I think you need to have a DQ finish to make Sean keep the belt. But if they are going to do this very live match next month, you could have had Mankind win and then make the very live match even more important and then possibly have Sean win the belt back at Survivor Series. Um, because I, I'll get to this right now. I was going to mention it later on, but I'd rather have this at WrestleMania than Sean versus Brett. And you can talk about it later on, but I'd rather have this main event. 
as a match because um, they've what, had short, an incredible short match. Mankind. Yep. Um, I, I, I still think that there's a great Sean and Brett match to be had, and I don't think WrestleMania gave them the opportunity to do that. Uh, I know what you mean. It's certainly an option. It's it's nice to have another name we can throw into the mix and think it's a good alternative at least. Um, I kind of just thought of the finish. And let, let me run through what happened immediately after that. So Sean goes to the pin. Vader comes out. Sean stands up, starts attacking Vader, and they call for the DQ. Michaels runs off Vader before Bearer hits Michaels with the urn. Out comes Sid. Sid takes care of Vader, but Mankind puts the mandible claw onto Sean. Mankind calls for the lid to be opened on the casket. Bearer opens, and here is Undertaker. Undertaker, the crowd goes nuts. Undertaker goes after Mankind, who scarpers as quickly as he will carry him. Uh, we end the show with Sean shaking hands with Ross and Vince at ringside, but tellingly walking past Mr. Perfect. They re-show the super to the table, and Sean shown to have counted it into a crossbody. Uh, Dan, I, I, I might have just gone with Mankind calling for the casket to be opened the second time and Undertaker popping out in the match. I, I know we've we've had issues before with DQ finishes involving Brett where it was more about getting over the other program, so I suppose there's that. But the bit where Undertaker popped out was a great moment. I think it would have been slightly less flat than Vader just arbitrarily running out. Yeah, although I could see, you know, Sean going, well, I need to look strong here. I need to look like I've got the pin. And then, you know, then Vader or whoever runs in and distracts me rather than Mankind about to beat me and then trying to put me in the casket and then Undertaker pops up. I know what you mean from a visual standpoint. Undertaker popping up the casket is a lot better than Vader just, you know, stumbling out and then getting punched in the face and then walking off again um, by Sid. But I, I can sense you trying to make your champion look stronger than the challenger, um, than Vader. Um, so yeah, I can, I can understand why they did it, but I agree with you that in an ideal world, Undertaker would have been a much better option for the DQ rather than Vader. Craig, input on that, and also just yeah, thoughts on the the post show stuff. Yeah, I, I thought the post show stuff uh, well, was excellent. Post match, sorry. Yeah, sorry. Yes, the post match stuff uh, was was excellent. I, I thought it was great that they had the, the Undertaker coming out. Uh, really, sort of did a number on mankind, and I guess that sort of indicates the direction that without a title, mankind's now going in. Uh, yeah, I, I, I thought. The the last half hour or so of this of this show is really the only thing worth watching. Yeah, can't disagree. I thought when I, like, I wasn't expecting Undertaker coming out the casket. I mean, I know I should. Yeah, the casket was there. You know, come on, Bob. We've seen this. We've seen this ending before this year. Um, but I just wasn't really thinking about it. And the casket opened. And Undertaker popped out. I was like, oh shit, this is just picked up. And the crowd were a bit like that too. Um, that worked really, really well. Yeah, I mean, you know, we got a great match. You know, it wasn't time to pin Mankind cleanly. I don't think it was time for Sean to lose in the title. There's more justification last month. So in that regard, they wanted to go to a, a nefarious finish. And I don't mind it so much in this situation. And it made sense. It built two separate concurrently running programs. I mean, it effectively built three in that we got a little bit of Vader and Sid, as well as Vader and Sean, as well as Undertaker and Mankind. Um, 
yeah, it, it, enough enough was done because of this finish where I think we can be happy about it. And it's a fucking brilliant match to this point. It may well be the best WWF match this year. I'd have to watch the Diesel one again. But it's in that in that discussion. Uh, Dan, your overall thoughts on the show and a score rating out of 10. Yeah, as I said before at the start, it's a one-match show. It's on your VHS. Like, you've got an hour and a half of uh, free stuff you can tape over it. Just have the main, just have Shawn Michaels and Mankind on, on there. Um, score rating wise, um, controversial. I'm going to give it a five because the main event is that damn good and it was only two hours, so it wasn't a drag watching the, you know, undercard. And I liked the Pillman Austin um, promo a lot more than you did, Bob, so I'm probably giving that a bit more credence. Um, it, Five out of ten for me is, is is if you're happy with your money's worth. And if I bought this show, I'd be happy with it because I got an incredible main event out of it. So, yeah, five out of ten for me. Craig? I don't think I can quite go as high. I, I'd probably say a four. There, the main event was excellent, but there was some absolute shit on this show. Uh, the, the, I think the other good, uh, sorry, the other positive uh, to come out from it is the Owen Hart and Bulldog win. But that and... A standard main event, uh, the shit show that is mind games. Yeah, I mean, uh, how, how if you spent twenty bucks on this pay per view, uh, you know, are we trying to say that's a twenty dollar match? We might be. But there's nothing else on this show. You know, there's nothing else on this show worth watching. We're talking about picking this show up on, you know, on tape. If you do, just watch the main event. It's the, there's you know, the ECW angle at the start, but you know, we get to the end of the show, you kind of forget the ECW angle even happened. Um, which in many ways is kind of the point, was that it was meant to be noteworthy, but not so obtuse that it, it, you know, it, it was too obvious and it stood out. Um, I'm with Craig. I'll give it a four out of ten. There's, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot of tripe on this show. There really, really is. Um, you know, the, 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 there are three redeeming features of the first hour and 20 minutes of the show. There's the ECW angle. There is, to an extent, the point of the, the Owen Austin Pillman thing in the sense that it did kick off the Bret Hart thing. And as we say, as much as I don't think it was strong, it is something that WWF storylines have missed, the very basic chapter one. And we did get the smoking guns, the titles off of the smoking guns. There is at least that. But like, I don't know that it's worth sitting through that just for those small little nuggets. The main event's excellent though. Um, and from that to that extent, if it's a case of do I go back and watch this show as a binary question, I think the answer is yes, because you have to see the main event. But it, it's a qualified yes in that just watch the main event. There's no other reason to watch anything else on this show. You haven't missed a lot, really. Um, and, and, and what you have missed is genuinely... I guess, yeah, I'll give it a four, but it's like it's a nine for the main event and a, you know, a one and a half for everything else. We're in that kind of zone, really. Um, but yeah, like if it's a binary question, I have to watch, I can either watch the whole show or none of it, sit through the whole show and get them Raw opens on September 23rd with Pat Patson on hand to officiate the Intercontinental title match between Farouk and Mark Merrow. 
Ahmed Johnson phones in mid-match. Pat Patterson's counting is really slow. We end up with Sonny and Sable getting into a spat. Marrow hits fruit with Sonny's purse, which weighs, quote, 20 pounds, according to Kevin Kelly. Marrow hits the wild thing, shooting star press, and that's enough for the win. Sonny guiltily opens up the purse after the match, and it turns out there's a brick in it. We see a clip outside Razor and Diesel's dressing room. We're going to see highlights of Shawn Michaels versus Jeff Jarrett from July last year. It's really to match that. You don't even want to go back and watch. They're billing the quote expose of Jarrett, which they'll deliver after the commercial. They come back and they say that Jarrett never sang With My Baby Tonight, and the person that did sing it will be on Raw next week. The Real Double J. There's a sizable ECW chant during the Owen Hart and Bulldog against Body Donners match. Turns out Taz is there. He jumps the barricade and gets a sign on TV that says Sabu fears Taz. Jim Ross calls them a, quote, little wrestling promotion who wrestle in a bingo hall. They then immediately cut to a commercial. When we come back, it turns out Clarence Mason has signed Jim Cornette away from the Owen and Bulldog tag team. Owen wins it for his team with a sharpshooter. We get a promo from The Undertaker, who's walking through the graveyard, or a graveyard rather. He says he's carrying the scars of betrayal, and last night they witnessed who truly was the master of the mind games. The slam of the week is Michaels putting mankind through the table from last night, which is a bit weird. Hunter Hearst Helsey face off against the stalker. Mr. Perfect walks out onto the R-way. Austin is quite funny on commentary, at least. When Kevin, Sally, when Kevin Kelly says, and this one is over, Austin dryly responds, no it ain't. Perfect goes after Hunter's lady, escorts her up the R-way, off of the distraction, Stalker hits a lovely superplex off of the second rope for the win. Jim Ross gets in the ring, but he's interrupted by a video from Bearer and Mankind in the graveyard looking for Undertaker. They find the spot where Undertaker wants to bury Mankind alive. Ross, after a commercial, finally gets to tell a very honest version of his personal story. He says he has no loyalty to the World Wrestling Federation, only loyalty to himself. Ross says he's the best play-by-play in the business, which gets some cheers. And then he tells us how Vincent Mann fired him. He then implies responsibility for why some guys had left for WCW and why some guys had signed. That includes Razor Ramon. Razor comes out. There is a very mild pop when he comes out. And then quickly the fans realise what's what. Savio Vega runs out mid-ring after Razor cuts a brief promo, attacks him, and they go off the air brawling. We open up Raw on September the 30th with Jim Ross still on commentary. Stone Cold Steve Austin defeats Jake Roberts in a repeat of the King of the Ring final. The bulk of commentary is Jim Ross getting antsy. Quote, maybe Gorilla Monsoon will fire me. It'll only be the third time they fired me. Ross says he spoke to Bret Hart yesterday. Lawler asks if it's the real Bret Hart. Roberts sizes up Lawler, lays out Austin off of the distraction, but Lawler distracts Roberts again. We get some decent near falls in this. Lawler gobs a mouthful of booze at Roberts. Austin hits a stunner off the distraction. Austin beats on Roberts after the match, but Savio runs him off. Hudhurst Helsey's lost his French accent. He issued a challenge to Mr. Perfect. Apparently he had to retake that promo a few times. Uh, the gold wins win a squash match over the Harris brothers, shorn of their long hair. Mr. Perfect does a picture-in-picture, accepting Hunter's challenge. That'll take place in a couple of weeks. We get a video investigation exposing Jeff Jarrett as the as a fraud of a singer, the real Double J, that's Jesse James, obviously formerly Roadie. We see basically the next chapter in the angle they presumably shot about 15, 16 months ago before the walkout, and we do hear James doing some singing. 
Ross says, quote, I never mentioned Scott Hall's name or Kevin Nash as Razor Ramon walks out for his match against Savio Vega. Monsoon joins them on commentary. The crowd chant fake at Razor Ramon, but that's about as heated as the whole thing gets. Ross and Monsoon bicker back and forth for the entirety of the match that Elon Lawler tells them to call the match. Out walks Diesel. This angle's so flat. Diesel pulls Savio over the top rope and that forces a DQ. Savio takes a razor's edge and then a jackknife. Undertaker revisits the graveyard. He says he'll bury mankind alive. Move to the main event. That was the one they were rooming to plan for the In Your House last month, a few months ago. Vader and Jim Cornette versus Jose Lothario and Sean Michaels. Michaels body slams Vader but ends up going for a second and his back gives out. Vader hits a power bomb, then a Vader bomb, and even with a bit of a distraction from Cornette in the build-up, that was as good as a clean victory. Show ends with Sid running off out to face off against Vader. Goldust comes out to make it three, and we go off the air with Sean brawling with Goldust and Vader with Sid. All right, ladies and gentlemen, before I was so rudely interrupted with a commercial break, we're going to conduct this interview right now, and in just a couple of moments, I want to bring. Big Daddy Cool Diesel and Razor Ramon right out here. But before I do, I'd like to just beg your indulgence for just a minute or so and tell you something that I've got on my mind. There's something I've been waiting to say for a long, long time. And when I'm through telling you, many of you are going to question my loyalty to the World Wrestling Federation. So let's clear that up right now. What's he talking about? I have no idea. I have no loyalty to the World Wrestling Federation. I've only got loyalty to good old JR. Let me tell you why. In 1993, I left a great job in Atlanta, Georgia. And I left the Atlanta Falcons of the National Football League to go to the recognized leader of sports entertainment, the WWF. And my, I came here to be the primary play-by-play man in the WWF. I don't think anybody here is going to disagree that I'm the best play-by-play man in the whole damn business. What you doing? I, I really don't know. This is so I show up for work the first day at WrestleMania 9 in Las Vegas, Nevada, and they give me a sheet to wear. They said, oh, it's going to be a toga. You'll look good in a toga, JR. I lead the National Football League for a toga. It's crap. And then, ladies and gentlemen, I go to the first king of the ring in Dayton, Ohio. And I guarantee you, you listen to that broadcast. I carried the broadcast from ringside. And then did you ever wonder... Where old JR went to? Why isn't JR doing play by play anymore? Let me tell you why. Because the egotistical owner of the World Wrestling Federation, and you know what I'm talking about, I'm talking about Vince McMahon couldn't stand the competition. Why is he doing this? This is rather unfortunate. So JR disappeared. And then on Super Bowl Sunday in 1994, I woke up with an affliction called Bell's Palsy. And my entire left side of my face looked like I had a stroke. You think I like that? 
You think I like that my left eye doesn't open all the way because I got sick? Let me tell you how warm-hearted Mr. McMahon is. Mr. McMahon called me into his office on February the 11th, 1994, and he fired my ass. So I get back in my car, and I'm driving to my home in that overpriced hellhole, Connecticut. And I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to tell my wife and my two little girls that their daddy had just got fired. And so then, remember when, remember when McMahon got indicted? They needed somebody to come back and do raw. They called OJR. And then they let me go again. So finally they called me back. Hired me back for 50 cents on the dollar to come back and work in the front office. Do you think that all these guys leaving the WWF was an accident? Hell no, it's not. you think all these guys coming here was an accident? Absolutely not. I've been very busy. And right now, I want to bring back one of your favorites. He's the bad guy, Razor Ramon. TVs, um, there is really only one place to start, um, and that is the angle that has really been, you know, it was it happened, it happened briefly on this show, and technically it was the first sighting of what I'm guessing we have to call the new Diesel, the new Razor Ramon. Um, but throughout this month, we've had, you know, mention on TV, almost like a, you know, a break inside a story played out in a in a storyline on television. Um, with Jim Ross on commentary saying, I've got my, you know, Jim Ross kind of overtly, and, and it got to the point where, like, he had to turn heel, he's been that overt about it, um, but aggressively, overtly, almost painfully, he's mentioned that often, talking about, I've got breaking news that Diesel and Razor Ramon are, are coming back to the WWF, and they came back. Um, Craig will we'll go to the night on the 23rd in Hershey, Pennsylvania, the night after the pay-per-view live on television, uh, we got a Jim Ross angle, which I thought was a Jim Ross promo term, which was pretty good. And then Rick Bogner comes out as Razor Ramon and the balloon just popped. Yes, yes, this is, uh, this is really bad. Uh, 
I messaged you about this, I think, when I was watching the show, Bob, but during the, the pay-per-view, uh, when Jim Ross is waxing lyrical, or, well, hinting quite strongly about Razor and Diesel, uh, Vince McMahon makes a quip about, well, is it something like, I thought this was all about just trying to get ratings, or, or words to that effect, uh, which I thought was was quite interesting, and I mean, very true, but, yeah, this, this really fell flat. I don't, would many of People believed that uh, Nash and Diesel would uh, ditch the NWO to return to the WWF. I'm not sure, but few would have expected this to be quite as bad as it was, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, you look at you look at all the possible. You know, when they came up with the idea, there were a lot of different avenues. Um, but Dan, dare I say it, like if we want to break it down far enough, it wasn't even a particularly good impersonation of Diesel and Razor above everything else. But yeah, I don't I think that's the least of their concerns. Dan, what were your thoughts? Look, can we just create a new category for the end of year awards, Bob, for the WDS stupidest idea of the year? Well, I, I was thinking we, we could go with just the second worst thing of the year was gonna be my category on the base that this will walk it. Well, this and the weekly pay-per-view idea for that was... Well, that uh, too. For, for those who don't know, that has basically been dropped because no cable carrier is interested. So that's that. Carry on, These are just two blokes you hire for 50 quid from your local lookalike agency. Like, for your, your son's eighth, eighth birthday party, and you went, Dad, can I get Razor Ramon to come? And like, yes, son, here he is. No, really, it is him, I promise. You know, that basically fell as flat as this angle played out. It was just, like, the most... I've never seen a crowd go... So flat as when that you know Rick Bogner comes out as I did with that one, it was awful. Um, I think I think the ratings proved that nobody bought it anyway. Like you know, if yeah. if, if, if if the rating for that show would have been higher, and it, I think it was a two point oh, I think we said at the top, if the rating of the show had been higher, we would have gone okay. The idea at least drew people in. People at least bought it. The rating proved that they absolutely didn't. Um, and that's the scary thing of all, because the only reason to do this angle, like the balloon's definitely going to burst when you reveal the ruse. But the only reason to do this angle is to try and just, you know, desperately get some anticipation for the show you're putting on. And they didn't do that at all. And, you know, I, Craig, I just don't know. I don't What's the thinking here? I, I, I don't get it. It is bad news because first and foremost, the WWF have lied to the fans. There's no, there's no other way of putting it. But they've also lied, and the fans haven't bought into it. So that that's pretty grim. I mean, if if we saw a huge rating spike from people expecting to see Razor and Diesel, and then it fell flat. Sorry, the ratings then fell down the week after. We'd be like, well, fans were lied to, bought into it, and now we're deserting them in droves. But they're not even coming back. It's well, we haven't, uh, seen, we haven't seen the rating. No, but I mean, it, but it's you've, you've got fans lying, being lied to, and it didn't even work. So you've you've got a situation where the fans of your promotion have have lost faith and and belief in what you say. That's that's pretty bad news for the WWF. It is, and, and, and there is also the, the point that this was also the month where Brian Pillman came out and said Bret Hart's going to be on the pay-per-view. And you might say, and you'd have a point, it's Brian Pillman, he's a heel, he's entitled to lie. But, Craig, the other 
big takeaway from all this, as awful as the whole thing was, and let's be clear, it was dire. Go back and watch. It was dire. Razor Ramon comes out, and there's like, it's weird. There's no attempt to try and pretend it's real. Because it, 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 let's be clear here. You know, they got to the stage. They worked out the whole thing was going to fail, or this was the plan all along. But they got to the stage the week of the, the main reveal where they went, right, we're going to stick all this on Jim Ross, and we'll come to that in a minute. We're going to stick all this on Ross, and we're going to have it as a, a fake heel angle. And yet the following Recon Raw on the 30th, Razor Ramon comes out and is is introduced as Razor Ramon. It's it's not Razor Ramon. It's a guy playing Razor Ramon. It, it's it was dreadful, and like I, you know, like I know p- people get recast, but this is pro wrestling. It doesn't work like that in a in a movie, in a soap opera, in a TV series. You recast someone. There's no live audience reacting to. It. And let's be honest, most times when when something happens to cause a you know a change in personnel like this kind of was an unenforced change. You generally write around it. You don't just substitute someone else in. But in an industry like pro wrestling, it's never going to work. You know, we know it's not going to work because you tried it with Hulk Hogan. They tried it with Lex Luger. They didn't call him Hulk Hogan, but they bought in a guy and made him into Hulk Hogan 2.0 under a different name. And it didn't work. Wrestling is just a very unique industry in that... It's guys, it's actors playing characters on the whole, sometimes under their own name, but almost exclusively wrestlers as actors playing characters either under their own name or under different names. But the the character is so intertwined with the person playing them because it's so much about the look, it you just can't get away with it. Anyway, the, that that slight tangent aside, Craig, the, the, where I was getting to was... They had pill and promised Bret Hart, and they, at least, at least they had the the gall to say on the Raw before Bret Hart ain't coming. They had a pro of Bret Hart calling out Pillman for his dishonesty. Okay, but they may have duped a couple of people who didn't see that Raw into thinking Bret Hart's going to be on the pay per view. So be it. But they've, you know, they had Bret Pillman a heel promising Bret to come to the pay per view, and that didn't happen. But Craig, we're now in a situation where they've promised they've turned Jim Ross, their best play-by-play babyface announcer, into a heel, and a heel play-by-play ain't gonna fucking work. No, uh, the, the, there is difficult. It's very difficult to find anything around this entire uh, situation that's that, on the face of it, looks like a good idea. You, you don't have to sort of ask too many follow-up questions to let's bring in a fake Diesel and Razor Ramon till you start spotting some serious, serious flaws in logic that'll probably come back and bite the WWF. Yeah, and I think also you you look at other recent examples, you want to talk about, you know, we saw this last year in WCW. They tried to bring in a guy called The Ultimate Renegade. They played some music that was very, very similar to The Ultimate Warriors WWF music, and for about five seconds, the crowd popped, because, you know, one, it was kind of, it wasn't really a surprise so much, but the crowd thought it's The Ultimate Warrior, because the music was so similar. And then, yeah, Rick Wilson runs out, and they're like, oh, it's, it's clearly not the ultimate warrior and the whole thing fell flat and it turns out that you know the renegade had even less in-ring charisma well even charisma obviously a lot less even less in-ring ability than warrior did we've seen that the only time down i think it's worked in this timeline 
was WCW bringing the Giant in to effectively play Andre the Giant. But Dan, that kind of worked because they never, you know, they just implied it. I know he's called the Giant, but they it was implied more than more than anything else. The Giant worked, but. I think the Giant's kind of his own character now. He's doing a lot of his own talking. Roger the Giant rarely, if ever, talks. That was a different enough character. Dan, but is it fair to say that's the only time it's worked in our timeline? Yeah. Um, and as you say, it was because they didn't bring in the Giant as, you know, it, it looked better. You know, Giant is a young guy. He's got his own look and he had his own ability. He was doing a little bit of things differently to Andre. But can we just end the idea that it's, the character and, you know, the look itself that is the reason why uh act gets over and not the performer. I mean, it's, it's dangerous arrogance from well, everybody the- involved, from Vince to the WCW executives who brought in all these, you know, um, imitations and now these fakes to, you know, pop a rating and to pop a buy rate. And it did for the Ultimate Renegade because I think it did like a 100,000 more buys than the normal WCW pay-per-view. I don't know if it was quite that um, many, but yeah, it was certainly up. I think part of that was just because Hulk Hogan and Vader as a whole drew. I did a whole bit of analysis on the website about that, and yeah. Hulk Hogan and Vader stood up quite a lot higher than non-Hulk Hogan Vader main events that year. But that was part of it, and they were promoting the ultimate surprise, and they, I think they signed off on Saturday night with, you know, a pretty, you know, a pretty lacking subtlety impression that it was going to be Renegade. But yeah, Warrior, but yeah, we're, we're going off on a tangent, but yeah, it's, it's honestly, it's like, it's like career, it's, I feel so sorry for everyone involved in this. Like, I feel so sorry for Jim Ross because he's saddled with this shite. Now, he, he's the one fronting this angle, and it should be Vince who had the gall to do this in the first place. It's it's career suicide for, for Bogner Regis and Isaac Yankin because... Bogner Regis. There's no, because they've got no way back of playing these characters. You know, they, they can't work in the WWF again because, you know, who would want to touch them? And they can't go to WCW because they're playing the two of the highest profile, most well-paid stars in the company. So they can't work in a worldwide, worldwide promotion again. And it's potentially yeah. suicidal for Vincent Mann because on the other side of the corner, you've got the competition laughing their asses off because this is the best that he can come up with to kind of tackle the ratings that they've been... They did you know, this angle two weeks before. They did a fake Sting on Nitro. Now, that was a bit different. Yeah, you'll, you'll, you'll hear my thoughts yeah, that's, on that's that. That's a bit different, though. That's, that's working in the storyline. That's, you know, the NWO kind of going, oh, no, we can recruit Sting, you know. Yeah. This is our guy, and Sting comes out and is actually is actually an intriguing angle. This isn't intriguing anyway. This is just a way of popping a rating. And well, yeah, that, that works. It, what's the opposite of a pop? Yeah, exactly. But bursting and, a rating, I guess, yeah. Yeah. And, like, yeah. and you said, like, okay, if you can understand it if they, um, you know, if the ratings went up and then, you know, because the ratings went up, they didn't. So how many ratings are they going to lose after this? Because assuming this is the loyal WWF fan base, they're going to lose guys. They are going to lose a lot of those things because they're going to be ashamed of what's happened to them in front of their very eyes. Fascinating to see where this goes. Like fascinating to see, you know, how how flat, how quickly has this got to go before they just abandon the whole thing? Are we going to get, you know, are they going to try and do Diesel in the main event of of the next pay per view or in the co main? You know, because theoretically, if they want a main event, it should be Diesel and Shawn Michaels. I would think. I think there's enough in that. I know Sean beat 
Kevin Nash pretty decisively in April, but theoretically that's a match they can go back to. But I mean, even wanna... from that, even from that perspective, like we've seen with Renegade and the Ultimate Warrior, that just how badly they can do it when a when they when they're imitating a bad wrestler. But Razor Ramon's a bloody good wrestler. Could, did you expect you know Bogdan Reed just to to have a five star classic with Shawn Michaels if they put him in a ladder match? You know, I've not seen him wrestle, but you know, admittedly, but you know, I, I'm I'm assuming that he wouldn't be as good as Scott Hall. That's so a thing from that, to say even from that, yeah, even from that perspective, it doesn't work because you're not going to get any, as many good matches. It's, it's, Craig, it's, it's, it's rubbish. Craig, <laughs> Craig, charming on any of this. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, what, what? Do, genuinely though, what do you do with these guys now? That that's really interesting. I mean, it, it's clear the fans shat all over it straight away and saw right through it. So you can't really push Diesel and Razor, if we have to call them that, into the main event picture either. It you, you can't see them. You can't see them going for another Razor Intercontinental Title run. Does the fake? Diesel look like a WWF champion? Could you make them tag team champions? It's it's just shit. I mean, after a disastrous reveal, you might as well actually just pull the plug on it, right? I mean, is there a way to salvage anything from these two? No. Uh, no, I'd agree with Dan. Um, you know, I, it, it's more. You know, this won't work. It's more just how quickly they realise. Like, are they going to do? Are they going to put these guys in major matches at Survivor Series, and the whole thing's going to bomb, and then just going to go right? This isn't working. Or are they going to work it out in the next few weeks? I don't know. Uh, they'll get a pretty quick idea in terms of these guys are going to be working house shows, and they they should work out. You know, with the pops and with the reactions to the matches and that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, and, and, and the, the bigger thing, like, you know, say, say WCW aren't running Nitro at this point and say the guys have just left. Forget for a moment, even all the stuff that's happening on Nitro. And, you know, that wouldn't have, it, it, it would have been terrible anyway. Like this isn't just a terrible angle. When we bring the fact back in that Nitro's running opposite them on Monday nights. The whole thing looks so low red. So low red. And it's like, you know, it kind of transitioned me into my other discussion point this month, which is there is no reason at all right now to watch Raw over Nitro. If you've got the choice and if you're not entrenched in one or the other, if you're just a floating voter, Raw right now, when Shawn Michaels is not on the show, is generally awful. And when Shawn Michaels is on the show, it's you're getting a good match. You're getting Shawn Michaels at 6 out of 10, which is better than most. And they're just going nowhere. And this was the big surprise that they committed so overtly to this whole angle. And I know I said earlier in the show, and I said it this year, that since Brett's gone and since Diesel and Razor left, more critically since Scott Hall and Kevin Nash left, the show's gone to pot. But this wasn't the answer. But you're watching the two shows, and, and, and before the NWO thing started, Raw was pretty bad, but WCW were, were showing you more compelling, but often quite predictably more compelling television. With this angle that they've got hot, that's at least wacky enough in the short term where they can get away with it, it's got its own issues. 
Nitro right now is generally pretty compelling. It's the whole we don't know what's going to happen factor. You turn on Raw, they've got a very formulaic show with almost no star power because, you know, Shawn Michaels ain't on that. And Salvatore Sincere main evented a, a Raw main event this month. Fit that in. You've got all this going on. I mean, Craig, this is death right now and this just isn't the answer. No, no, it, it really isn't. There's such a, a dearth, dearth of talent, and it, it's just been a problem brewing for a long time. I, I guess the sort of over reliance on, on having, well, when you look back from what maybe '93 to, with the time they left, Nash and Diesel, sorry, Nash and Hall were uh, pretty much right at the top of, of most cards and they've really been hurt by them leaving and there's uh, it's just not been able to replace them and then you see when you talk about lack of star power you, you see just how they've misused uh, Vader since he's joined they've not really uh, fired the gun on Stone Cold Steve Austin I'm not necessarily saying that Austin would have been the, the answer and filled a void but when you when you go back, you, you, you look like you mentioned earlier on, just the the way that they were able to thrust the King of the Ring winner into uh, main event picture straight away uh, in previous years. But I mean, if I'm right, uh, Austin sort of fought on the pre, the free for all match on this year's SummerSlam. So they, they've got they've got tried and tested methods that, that they've used in the past to get guys into the main event scene, uh, and they didn't. Pull the plug with, uh, sorry, pull the trigger with with Austin. It just does seem seems just bizarre. And yeah, the WF are in a terrible position, but it's difficult to sort of suggest it's anyone's fault but their own. Yeah, I mean specifically on the Austin front, I just think it's quite clear that Austin was never really there was no real long term plan for Austin to King of the Ring. They just kind of put him on it, put it on him, and it just didn't work. But they're yeah, Dan, I think that the biggest issue is that I don't feel like they're getting much out of almost... I don't think they're getting enough out of almost everyone, with the exception of probably Sean, probably Mankind. There are, you could look down that roster and go, we could do more with him, we could do more with him, we could do more with him. There are talented guys on this card, and they've had a bit of bad luck. You know, you know, I mean, Armour Johnson getting injured was a big miss. And I know Armour Johnson wasn't setting the world on fire, but it's clear they were going to push him throughout the rest of this year. He's down. So there's that. And they've had a lot of transition and turnover. And to an extent, there's not a lot you can do. But down, they've got to find something. Because I think if they don't sign Bret Hart, and it looks like they will, they don't sign Bret Hart, this might be all over. If they don't sign Bret Hart, WCW might just envelop it. Um, what, what do you think, down about their current roster issues? No, it's awful. I mean, it, it just look at it. I mean, the talented guys they do have in Mero and Vader, um, on paper, Dustin Reynolds, who's a good wrestler before he joined, they're all getting misused. There's no compelling feud. Well, I'm praising the Austin Brett promo because it's actually a decent build for a feud. I mean, it just seems like a freak of the month issue with, with Michaels and the undercards just seems to be, ah, just throw them in there. They'll be fine. There's no, there's no story to it. And say what you will about, WCW, but at least the at least the wrestlers that they throw in together are good. You know, yep. Malenko, Mysterio, the Cruiserweights, the tag division, they're all good. So even if there is no story involved, at least you're going to get good matches. So I don't know if maybe there needs to be a change of attitude with putting more emphasis on kind of 
storyline driven content rather because if you if your in ring product isn't that good, focus more on what you can do outside of it. Um, and then yeah, I, I, mean, I don't want to push him too much here, but try and make guys like Sean wrestle more. I mean, you know, I know he's feeding with gold us on that. Well, that that's the whole gimmick, is it? Though that Austin's uh, that, that Sean's wrestling too much, right? That's that's part of the storyline, I think. Uh, what, what they got at the minute, they need to get him in until Brett can come back and wrestle regularly on Raw, and it looks like they're going to keep him off Raw until January, which is might been might be a mistake. But you know, it, the WCW kind of showed them a little bit of a short term fix with what they can do when Nitro first came on air, where they put Hogan and Savage and Flair in matches on week to week television, and then allowed. Hopefully, you can then build up some of your undercard guys like Austin, like. Um, Maybe like give Brian Pillman more of a kind of Piper's Pits or Pillman's Pit segment where he can bring out guys and feuds and then because he's a, he's a good talker you might be able to get him over and might be able to get the guys over at the same time. But yeah, I think you said this. It's a the roster's not good enough. B that it's not being used when they've got good stars like Vader and Mero. And C, there's nothing intriguing. You know, even, even the match you know, I'd mentioned, you know, Mankind versus Sean. That was an incredible near five star match. Can you tell me anything about the build with it that was interesting? Uh, I, I can't tell you anything about the build full stop. I'm sure it wasn't really on TV to promote it. They're the old, the old right. mankind you, exactly. internet, but got, yes. You've got on your hands a psychopathic daredevil who will literally put his body on the line to hurt people and probably the best wrestler in the world right now. How can you not build a good story around that? You know, because they're, just, because you, they're busy building the return of Two big stars like Diesel and Razor Ramon. How have we got time for that? That's I think that build there is indicative of what's happening with WF's kind of program in a minute. It's just so safe and it's so lazy. But the whole pro- the whole thing is. with the WWF versus WCW, and this this has been a this has been the unset, untold story for years almost. But it was the told story on Raw at the beginning of the year was that WCW is only good at taking stars that the WWF had created and making them into stars. And to an extent, that's true, right? To an extent, that's true. But the whole undercurrent behind that was that WWF were always far better at creating characters, and to an extent, they were always far better at getting the most out of guys. We're here now, and we've got Kevin Nash and Scott Hall on Nitro being far more compelling than they ever were on Raw. Now, to an extent, that's because there's an implied nature that they are the characters they were playing on um, on Raw as well. Uh, so there's that. But there's guys like Goldust, who they gave a much more compelling character to, but they now don't have the bollocks to push far enough with it. So it's now basically a dead act, because they can't go far enough with it, and the character can't wrestle in a way that's entertaining. You've got Mark Merrow, who last year was one of the wrestlers of the year in an undercard, you know, generic as all hell, babyface act in WCW. They packaged him as the wild man, they put him with a you know, his wife, a, ma- a valet, who's basically sucking all the life out of the character. They've got that. They bought in Vader. They bought in the MVP. They bought in the guy that, like, you know, like they, they should have reacted to Vader coming in like all their Christmases had come at once. The big star from the other side is now in our team, right? They've got all these great programs they could do with it. 
and they've just missed the boat with Vader. The story's, story always used to be that WWF were, were able to create the stars and get the most out of talent that WCW couldn't do. Now the only thing WWF can offer is slightly worse, slightly significantly worse contracts and a bigger opportunity if WCW don't like you, which in the case of, of Steve Austin was probably the reason he came. That's... That's kind of about it. The storytelling's not there. The angles aren't there. The exposure's not there. And right now, neither's the audience. Craig, input on any of that? Uh, yeah, no, no, you're totally right. There was uh, a lot there. But uh, it's also worth noting, haven't the WWF just given Mark Henry, a, v- a very unknown uh, sort of person in the wrestling world, quite a substantial contract? Am I yes. Right? So they, they've blown a lot of money on an unknown commodity. Uh, they're misusing talents like Goldust, Undertaker to a degree, because, well, he's been fairly shit. Uh, Stone Cold. It, it, it just seems like they're totally lost of, lost of ideas. I mean, I think the money with Mark Henry could have been used to maybe tempt someone else over from WCW or, you know, like a sort of big, transfer window signing to try and turn turn your fortunes around when you're in January and you're staring at relegation to use a, a football analogy but they just seem to have they seem to be using, misusing money misusing talent and not able to tell a good story it's a it's a pretty dire straits that they're in can't wait to can't see wait what to they see do what next, next month sorry we've had some Reverb issues with Craig's mic, so I had to sit on top of for most of this show. Anyway, that will bring to a conclusion this month's show. First, I'd like to thank Dan Welling. Thank you very much, Dan. No problem, Bob. Uh, Dan, you can be found on Twitter. At Daniel886. And if I bring his mic back up, Craig Olsen. Craig Olsen. Hello. This was, a, this was a really enjoyable show, guys. Thanks very much. Yeah, a slight issue with Craig. I don't know what the hell happened, but yeah, we had oh, a bit oh, more... Oh. Well, yeah, anyway, so I've had to... (laughs) We had slight reverb issues in the first half, so we started the second, and I said, let's try and fix it. And then we tried to fix it, and we ended up with this this. for the entire show. show. So I basically just had to be sitting on Craig's mic and turning him on and off. So there we go. That's where you heard a little bit of echo and reverb. Uh, Thank you very much, Craig. Tell people where they can find you on Twitter and all about your blog. Yeah, no worries at all. You've you've probably enjoyed being able to turn my mic down because you've complained in the past. I always like to try and have the last word. That's uh, true. So, so if you if you were uh, able to hear an unedited version, an edited version with all of my contributions, uh, you would have heard a lot more of me. But Bob has uh, censored me, which is, which is appalling. Uh, in terms of finding me, yep, I, me and some of my friends write a wrestling blog that if you listen to this show, you'll probably quite enjoy. It's called uh, Ring the Damn Bell, uh, and you find that at ringthedambell.wordpress.com, and from there you can find all the various uh, social links, etc., etc. Craig, I don't know that it's a new article, though it might be, but there's a piece on your site at the moment about um, the, the fake Deezer and fake Razor, right? That the, the other week, in term, I was largely in watching the sort of stuff and reading up on uh, reading old torches uh, on on this sort of time period. I uh, sort of convey some of the the sort of similar themes that I've hit on today in terms of the uh, lying to fans and, and taking that for granted and the damage that that could do uh, in in the longer term. Uh, and also just looking at the fact that it really was a drizzling shit. The idea that 
the fake Razor was hired largely because he could do a mean impression of Razor Ramon, apparently, yet failed to ever show that on WWF TV. Because that's the reason you'd hire him. Anyway, who knows? <laughs> yeah. Um, yes, anyway, right. First up, uh, yes, uh, we are now on Patreon, as I mentioned at the top of the show. I'm going to have to kind of get better at weaving that plug in as somewhat seamlessly as I can into the early part of this show. Patreon don't know, it's a service where if you like, if you want to say thank you, you can chip in a few quid a month just to say thank you for the show. The show's going to remain free, don't worry about that. As a thank you to those that are already doing it and those that are thinking about doing it, we are offering quote-unquote early access to podcasts. It's all explained on the site, but essentially we're taping this a month before, uh, a week before the rest of the podcasts are going to go out. I like this tomorrow and Patreon users will get it tomorrow. Everyone else will get it at the end of the month. So if you want to say thank you, if you're a long time next to the show, you can do so. It's five bucks a month is the the, the kind of the, the level we set in terms of you'll get early access and we're looking at doing some other stuff as well in terms of bonus shows and stuff like that. But we're not going to Nothing's going to feature out of timeline, really. I have promised that if we get to a, a goal that's probably out of reach, but that does tell you how little I want to go back and watch this show. But I have promised that if we get to the goal I set, that we will go back and review Battle Bowl yes. uh, as, as a patron exclusive. Um, so that that is the if you need an incentive, if you want, I've already said on the thing it's going to be me, Rory and Dell, because I'm, I like to punish those two more than most. But if you if you if you want an incentive to donate, if we get to that mark, I will find a weekend. I will sit through Battle Bowl again. That will be the second time in my life I've watched this show, and we will review it. Other than that, though, the only bonus stuff there will be like Q&A shows and random shit that we do as well. So don't be worried. We're not going to take any of the current in-timeline stuff away from you. But if you would like to say thank you, you have been listening for a long time. If our contributions to your lives are benefiting you in any way, for five bucks a month, you can do that at patreon.com forward slash wrestling20rs. Details are on the site. They're also in the podcast description. There's a link there as well that's the end of that plug anyway three more shows for you this month speaking of patron and early access stuff patron early access for ufc 11 has been up for a week now just for that just idea on that volume four i say covering ufc me and chris look back and probably the, the least significant ufc show we've done today the ufc tournament without a main event uh, without a final rather um but that happens volume one is wcw looking at full brawl that's a very interesting show we're taking that next week and volume three is all of your ecw action anyway you can find the podcast on twitter at wrestling 20 yrs you can find me on twitter at bobby bamba we're on facebook facebook.com forward slash wrestling 20 rs wrestling 20 yrs.com is basically where you can find everything Patreon links, podcasts, all our old blogs, all our old podcasts, all the other info you need. There's an email newsletter that I'm going to kick back into life now that it's September and the cricket season's over. I've got a bit more time. Um, and that will do that. I have been Bob Bamber. This has been Volume 2 of the September 1996 edition of the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. And until next time, goodbye. <laughs>